I'm finna put all this in my book bag, cause I'm from the streets. Yeah, yeah. And boom, what's going on? It's your boy Ambition, and welcome to another episode of the MYFB podcast. And today I have with me a leadership coach and de- leadership development expert, Mr. Jerry Fu. How you doing, Jerry? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. All right. How you doing? How, um, so <laughs> just really awkward start. Not going to cut okay. this out at all. So no, it's fine. We're good. <laughs> no, I just want the listeners to know, like, no, we, we knew that was awkward. That's mm-hmm. staying in. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about what you do as a leadership development coach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the main thing is really just first getting an idea of what people's definitions of leadership is. Right. Mm. Um, a lot of people, right. They think people, leaders, you know, people fall into two camps. One is that leaders uh, are just born, like they have instincts and they're like they're predestined to for greatness. Right. And right. then a lot of people think, well, you know, I don't have this person's charisma or their intelligence. So I guess I'm just not going to bother. Right. And mm-hmm. so part of leadership development is to challenge those those uh, beliefs, right, to say, well, you know, if you don't think you can be a leader, how do you expect to become a leader? You know, what if what if you uh, gave yourself the possibility of becoming a good leader? You know, how would you carry yourself? What kind of work would that involve? Right. And now their thinking is different. Right. Because that's my own path. Right. It was like it wasn't until I gave myself the idea that I could actually become a good leader that that was like an option for me that I actually started to work toward it. And sooner or later, that's ultimately what I became. Man, um, that, that, that's a really good point that you made almost immediately is that anyone can be a leader and it really is about your intent and your focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being in the Marine Corps and it was people would get promoted left and right. And I, I mentioned this in episode 20 as well. I had another um, leadership expert on with me and you know, I was mentioning to him how in the military, you're promoted whether you're ready for the leadership position or not. Nobody cares that you don't think you're a good leader. Nobody mm. cares about all of your reservations. It's mm. sink or swim. Yeah. And I watch countless people swim, right? Yeah. You mm-hmm. think people are going to sink. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, like this is something that almost anyone can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so has that been your experience? Have you, you seen that people who think that they can't be leaders, you know, after your coaching or after your program, they, they gain a little bit more confidence about it or how do you go about helping people build confidence in leadership? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's a great question. So part of it is, yeah, you know, uh, my clients typically set the agenda and, you know, they'll tell me, Hey, you know, I'm working through this challenge. So one example is to say, Hey, I'm at work and people keep asking me for favors, but that's taking away from the work that I know I need to get done for my own boss. How do I say no to them? Right. And so we ask, you know, we talked through some scenarios, like how comfortable are you just telling them straight up? No. And they said, well, you know, I, I don't like it when they get upset with me and I don't want to look like I'm selfish or lazy. Uh, and so we start to reframe the situation a little differently. Right. And so we ask them, well, offer them something like this to say, well, if you want me to help with that, which one of my other projects do I need to cut, you know, cut out in order to help you? 
right? And then they start to realize, oh, well, I don't want to take away from your main work, but this is still important. And then you can say something like, well, who else can help you with this project, right? Now you can kind of delegate it instead. So when people realize, hey, if I'm only doing this just so I don't look like a selfish jerk, and they realize, you know what, it's okay if they don't think, you know, higher of me just because I knew I had to stick to my guns, like you trade popularity for respect. So I think that's like one situation mm. that comes about. Another is dealing with conflict. So uh, one of my other clients had a very temperamental, passive aggressive boss. He tried to call her after hours. Uh, she didn't pick up because she's like, you know, I'm not at working, you know, I'm, I'm not on the clock. And then the next day he blows up at her and he's just like, you're not committed to this company. I don't, you know, how dare you, you know, my call when I need you, I need you. And, you know, she comes to me and she's like, how do I, you know, get this frustration off my chest, but not like antagonize him further to the point where I, I don't want to lose my job, even though I want to confront him on this bad behavior. And so, right. um, you know, then after that, right, then now they have this confidence. And the funny thing is, right, as soon as they have the confidence, they're like, you know what, Jerry, I don't think I need you anymore. <laughs> and for them to be able to tell me that, right, to have the courage to say, hey, you know, I, I don't think I need any more coaching. Like, I feel pretty good about myself. And, you know, on one hand, right, part of me is like, oh, you know, but the, but, right. but the bigger thing is that that's the whole point, right? I, I want to work myself out of a job. And so when they have the courage to tell me, hey, you know what? You know, I've found my footing. I'm able to walk on my own now. Um, you know, I thank you for your help and I'm going to move on. Right. And that's okay. Right. Ideally, you know, there's, we talk about referrals and things like that because I, I don't want, it's like a doctor who doesn't want the patients to get better. Right. If I'm just mm -hmm. keeping them on the hook, I don't want that kind of reputation. Um, and yeah, I, ideally, you know, if they get better, maybe I ask for referrals or they say, Hey, you know, Jerry really helped me for three months. That's all you're going to have to pay for. You know, I'd rather have my integrity and a little less money than a little more money and a lot less integrity, but that's just me. No, I, I really do. I really do respect that. I think that's the goal, the goal of almost every coaching program. When I was a personal trainer, that was like my main worry. Like, Mm -hmm. Am I going to get these clients and they're going to want to work with me forever? Because mm -hmm. I'm not going to want to do this forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Um, but you said something that I thought was very, um, very interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and this may be contrary to a lot of people's beliefs. Would you mm -hmm. say that leadership is about knowing when to say no and standing firm on that? Mm -hmm. uh, I think. Yeah, and, and thinking this out loud with you, uh, that's technically it, right? Because knowing what to say no to means implies that you know what to say yes to, right? Because um, when you learn to say no to good things to focus on the most important things, right? When you say no to, you know, a lack of self-respect or a lack of boundaries, right? A big part of leadership is, yeah, knowing when to say no, being decisive in that regard and not letting popularity or other factors, you know, kind of dilute the decision that you ultimately know is what's in your gut. No, I, I really, uh, and what you said that kind of pointed that out is, you know, I remember as you, you were speaking, I thought of the book, uh, Essentialism. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where it's literally say no to the things that, you know, you can't do, right. Mm -hmm. Obviously if someone's asking you to do something more than your capacity, right? Uh, it's not, it's not a feather in your cap that you're doing things, 
greater than your capacity. It's actually to your detriment. Mm -hmm. If you were just zoned in on the things that you were really good at and your boss wasn't stretching you thin, mm -hmm. then you would do better. Um, you would produce better work. So yeah. that, that's really what I thought about um, when you said it. Now, in terms of uh, your own path to leadership, mm -hmm. what inspired you to become a better leader? What was the event or the moment, or maybe it was a series of events, but what, what inspired you to become a better leader? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the main one that really, uh, that really shook my world was getting fired from the job I moved to Houston from. Mm. Um, because before I was, you know, I had let myself get stuck in a job I wasn't ultimately excited about. And, you know, I read some books, I knew what I was talking about when it came to leadership, but there was a serious lack of application in my life. And mm. I say, I set this up carefully because yeah, like, you know, Jerry is a hard worker and he's a pleasant guy to be around and he reads a lot of great books. Right. And so that was the persona I settled for for a long time because I was just too scared to fail at leadership. I didn't like conflict. I didn't like it. having conversations where you just, you know, they escalated quickly, tempers flared. And then, you know, like you didn't resolve the issue and now you've lost a friend or something like that. Right. But then you realize after enough time of being passive, you're like, okay, no, I'm tired of this job and I want to take on a, a different one. And so when I, um, leverage my connections to become a, a teacher or instructor through a pharmacy consulting company that I left my pharmacy job to come to Houston for, right? Um, now it was like, oh, I think I'm finally done. But this attitude really, you know, this lack of application of leadership, you know, started to show because I wasn't pulling my weight. I wasn't getting the job done. I was giving my boss stories instead of results. And eventually after 11 months, they said, no, we didn't pay you to, to give us stories as to why you didn't get the job done. We're paying you to get the job done. And so you got to go. And, you know, that was when I didn't want to admit to myself that I, what I was doing, what I was thinking really wasn't helpful or productive or respectful. Right. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. And I, you know, I'm like struggling, I'm reading more books. Right. I'm like, well, the next best thing I can do to think of right now is just to learn. But that's when the career roller coaster got really, really uh, difficult because I ended up at a house of cars pharmacy job where four of my paychecks bounced filling for crooked doctors. Uh, and I, I didn't know how to confront the guy who was clearly ripping me off. Right. Again, uh, moments where I, I struggled with leadership and I didn't know how to improve. And then I ended up next at a job where, that liked me, but that was more legitimate, but couldn't pay me more than eight hours a week. And so I'm like, well, oh, you know, now what do I do? And so um, that was the summer where I was invited to help teach some leadership seminars through a pharmacy leadership nonprofit owned by some of my friends. And uh, that, that's when the, the shift in thinking happened, when I taught it and I saw it modeled for me. And I said, wow, you know, what if I could do this better? What if I really could? Uh, now that I'm not just reading about it, but I'm seeing it in action, right? And as they say, leadership is more caught than taught. Okay, here we go. And, you know, had the confidence to take on a manager position that opened up back in Houston um, after I came back from Austin. And, uh, you know, that was nice for a little bit. And then I proceeded to get written up the following year because um, I had technicians that were not pulling their weight. And I, again, still very conflict diverse. And so I struggled to engage them, discipline them, or even fire them. And so management said, hey, um, you got to get better at this. So 
Um, after enough of those wake up calls, you realize, hey, you know what? If I don't handle my business, someone else is going to handle my business and then I'm not going to be left with much of a job. So, yeah, I'd say that sequence of confrontation uh, really led to me um, really diving deeper into, okay, what's it going to take for me to really get good at this? Man, I, I think you're definitely saying a mouthful and, and you're saying a lot that's going to help a whole lot of people, right? Um, you know, I, I'm a pretty rough and rugged guy. I don't have a problem with confrontation. Good. And as you can imagine, me not having a problem with confrontation mm-hmm. causes a lot of confrontation <laughs> for me with non-confrontational people. Oh, man. Yeah. Who are mad at me because I don't mind confrontation. There you go. <laughs> so... Um, with that, it, it's always me trying to explain that, hey, if you're not willing to fight, if people don't think mm-hmm. that you're serious, if people can't take you serious, then they won't take you serious. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not the person saying, hey, this is what it is, full stop, mm-hmm. then they're going to keep pulling the rope. Mm-hmm. So what, what, were you say, what would you say were some of the steps that you learned that helped you be more strategically confrontational? Mm, great, great question. So uh, yeah, being conflict diverse by default, you know, I grew up in a conflict diverse household and I, you know, at, in retail pharmacy, you know, like you're just taught to be conflict diverse because you just, they just placate them, right? doesn't matter how unfair or unreasonable they are, just placate them because we can't lose the business. And so you're like, do I have a spine at all? Like after I go home, <laughs> right? And so the five-step framework that I've basically kind of perfected for myself and the one that I share, you know, on my website now, um, first is you have to imagine what a successful conversation would sound like. So kind of unlocking that possibility, Hey, you know what, maybe it could be as simple as asking your roommate not to leave dirty dishes in the sink, right? It could be that easy. Maybe he, he could take it that easily. Oh yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Let me, you know, a lot on my mind. I saw, you know, I didn't realize my mess was getting in the way of other people, you know, it could be that that's it. Um, so that's the first idea is to say, hey, you know what? Maybe this conversation could go well. Um, and also because a lot of people, right, they just think to themselves, oh, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just got to engage it. You're just like, no, like give yourself a higher ceiling, right? Um, if, well, that said, you know, success might not be able to restore your relationship to 100%. Maybe success is being able to say, hey, you know what? Um, I'd rather not talk about politics or religion with you because we just seem to like devolve into really bad arguments. Could we just not talk about those if we're going to hang out together? Cause I really want to, you know, maintain a, a good term with you. Okay. Maybe that's it. Other times you may have to fire somebody. Hey, success is, you know what? Um, you can't be here anymore because you're not pulling your weight and it's, is cutting in on the team's morale. So uh, we've given you more than enough chances. You're going to have to, you're going to have to leave. Right. Uh, so anyway, so something to play around with to say, but to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I can't reach the other side. Right. Mm-hmm. Step two is to uh, find 10 seconds of courage to set things in motion. And by setting in motion, right, maybe it's just I just need 10 seconds to pick up the phone. I need 10 seconds to send that email and or send that text. Right. And this guards against people who want to rationalize away, uh, you know, taking any initiative. Right. They think, oh, I need to put on my whole superhero costume in order to, you know, go fight that fire. It's just like, you know, that may take you three months, six months before you finally feel like you can finally do this. Now the building's burned down. Now there's nothing left to say, right? So 
you just need 10 seconds to set the boulder down the down the cliff and lock the gate behind you so you can't backtrack and be like oh just kidding i i, I didn't need to talk it's like no you need you now you have no way back right uh step three is to script your critical moves okay now that i've imagined the best case scenario what are some what's some pushback i can expect right because if i have to ask my boss for a raise he's probably going to give me reasons that he's going to say no right all money's tight things like that so okay now that I have an idea. Let me not keep it up in my head. Let me put it out on paper and anticipate the main things that I want to talk about and also what kind of pushback I might hear from him. So let me go ahead and organize my thoughts. Let me go ahead and kind of get that battle plan you know, together, right? And then step four is to rehearse these moves. You can't just put it on paper. This isn't a multiple choice test. You want to spar in the dojo before you fight on on the street, right? Hey, let me practice in a mirror. Is my posture good? Is my voice uh, confident, right? Uh, maybe I role play with a friend to say, hey, can you pretend to be the boss I need to ask for a raise from? And so now you kind of get some muscle memory, right, before you get out on the field. And then step five, hey, just do it, right? The cost of not engaging, the cost of staying comfortable is worse than the cost of trying and failing. Uh, and so even if the conversation doesn't go as you expected, hey, be glad you're not keeping this pent up in your chest and you're resentful, right? Hey, if, if we're going to lose this friendship, at least they know exactly why I'm upset with them. So that's the five steps that I use whenever I find myself defaulting to comfort and saying, hey, you know what? It's maybe it's not that big a deal. I'm just going to, you know, I'll just clean up the, the mess again. I'll wash the dishes again. It's maybe, maybe they just had a bad day. Right. I, I think that one of the most important things that we all need to realize, and let me start by saying, I 100% agree with those five steps, right? Like, mm -hmm. I can't wait till this interview is over so I can go share this with my friends and my buddies and be like, hey, you know that problem you're having when you have something confrontational you need to bring mm -hmm. up with me? You, yeah. Use this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think a big piece of it, right, is because, you know, coming from the military, I'm, I'm around all of these type A personalities. Mm -hmm. And one of the yeah. things that type A personalities do Mm -hmm. is that they separate the conflict or they separate the confrontation mm -hmm. from the individual. Good. Right. And yeah. the way they do that is, let's say, for example, we curse on this podcast. So sure. adult people say, get to use adult language. Right. So let's say, for example, you don't like something I did and mm -hmm. you said, you know what? Ambition, you're a fucking idiot. Right. Mm. I may have done something idiotic that would have <laughs> perfectly that perfectly deserves that type of response mm -hmm. right but i do need to sit down and just not take it personal that you just called me a fucking idiot mm -hmm. right because you're my friend right mm -hmm. and yeah. we, we kind of just have that relationship i need people to tell me when i'm being a fucking idiot because as human beings we go through different motions so mm -hmm. the more that you can learn not to take it personal like okay obviously this person isn't trying to hurt me they're not trying mm -hmm. to do bad things to me the, what I find is whenever I do get around a group of people that are mm -hmm. confrontational avoidant or conflict avoidant, mm -hmm. it's normally because they do have a presumption of negative intent mm -hmm. for the people around them. Mm -hmm. And that presumption of negative intent is what doesn't allow you to just receive tough information mm -hmm. yeah. in the best way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and part of it is saying, being able to say, what you did was idiotic instead of saying you are an idiot, right? So you can, in, in a way, like it's still further separating you just because you can tell them, well, anyone who does this is idiotic. I am not calling you an idiot. 
And this is still an idiotic thing to do, right? I, I don't do that. I'll be like, did you do that's it? It's okay. No, I mean, you can, yeah. I would no, just say I, that's I, just I, one wrinkle you can do. I, I just like to mess with you. I was like, did you do it? Well, in that moment, <laughs> you were being <laughs> yeah. a fucking idiot. Well, I mean, you know, if the relationship's strong enough to, to do that, then, you know, celebrate that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Th- well, those are the only type of relationships. <laughs> no, that's, those are the ones you should have, right? That's, that's beautiful. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and- yeah. I, I, I also believe like I want people to be able to come to me with that. Right. And yeah. Good. Yeah. It, this is something I would say for all the listeners out there. Mm-hmm. If, if there is someone who is upfront and blunt and they mm-hmm. just tell you stuff as it is mm-hmm. and it hurts your feelings, mm-hmm. but it's true. That's the caveat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There right? it is. Yeah. The caveat is, is it true? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're good. done being mad at that person, go give them a hug for being the mm-hmm. honest person with you in life. There you go. Because you don't know how many times you run into people where you present something and they're just like, uh, well, and they're mm-hmm. so uncomfortable to tell you what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. So be thankful for the Sheldon Coopers in your life. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Unfiltered. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's definitely me. Man. Yeah. That's um, great. Okay. So you, you went through, you know, pretty much like you said house of cards sounded like some mad men stuff in the pharmacy pharmacy market um leading those types of personalities because you talked to me about the type of personalities you engage with you mentioned you know there was some shadiness crooked doctors that sort of thing but what were the other types of personalities that you dealt with and how did your leadership change Mm -hmm. uh to or how did your leadership adapt to those personalities yeah, yeah, great question. Um, so, yeah, if I had to look at the range of people that I dealt with, um, yeah, I mean, the main one that you kind of have to, um, so we'll do it this way. So, uh, Henry Cloud talks about three different kinds of people that you'll deal with. Number mm-hmm. one is wise people, number two is foolish people, and then number three is evil people, right? Mm. So, wise people, I actually did have some good employees, even when I was working at House of Cards, like they, they had a good heart. They knew how to be, pull their weight. They just, unfortunately, you know, it doesn't matter when you have a really terrible boss, right? Who's clearly taking advantage of you, but you know, wise people, right? Um, you give them feedback. You're just like, Hey, can you adjust this? They don't take it personally. They think about what you said and they realize that, okay, this is hurtful, but it's helpful. And, you know, let me adjust some things. And then, you know, you see that, the application, not just the acknowledgement of your advice and they take it and it's done, right? Preventive maintenance done. Uh, The majority I think is, is falls in the second category, which is like foolish people that they have good intentions, but um, the, the execution of the application isn't quite there. And so I'll give an example. Like I had a tech who was notoriously late. Like she would show up 30 minutes after a pharmacy opened. She'd take another 15, 20, just getting her coffee and lollygagging and cutting up. And it's like, we've lost an hour, right? Just like all, everyone else is annoyed at her, you know? So that means they're not getting work done. And it's just kind of right. like, so we have a meeting where we're talking to everybody, but we're really also talking to her. And we, we talk about the importance of punctuality. And she's like, hey, yeah, you know what? I, I should show up sooner and she proceeds to be late for the next five days and so at that point we're just like okay um clearly it's not enough to just maintain expectations right Mm -hmm. i I, i'll i'll own up to the fact that maybe i should say that on time being on time is being clocking in the company clock by 903 a.m 
right? If you want absolute clarity, hey, if you are on time, that means you will clock in by 9.03 a.m., right? No confusion on that. And even after we've discussed this expectation, you have failed to meet it for the next five days and we are not okay with that. So we're gonna have to write you up. And then she proceeds to give me excuses, right? Where, oh, well, you know, so my traffic is terrible in the morning and, you know, it takes so long to get here. And it's like, we're paying you the same money we're paying the other techs and they're showing up on time. So I'm not sure why I need to lower my standard for you, right? And, you know, you hate to, I, I took no satisfaction in the fact that I felt like I had to get her to realize, hey, own the process, right? So that's the second kind of person. And those, those are the ones you have, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna have to figure out how much rope you're willing to give them before they hang themselves, right? So, and then the finally you have evil people. And unfortunately, uh, yeah, they are the ones who are deliberately sabotaging your operation. And then they know how to deflect and defend in such a way where it's just, they're very slippery and you just don't know how to pin anything on them. And it's not like we're pinning them just to like point fingers or assess blame. And at the same time, you know, if they're not actively you know, contributing to the company or adding value, uh, you got to fire them. And that's, and I mean, that's the only reason I was able to kind of embrace my own firing was to recognize, Hey, you know what? Yeah. We don't send each other Christmas cards anymore, but the firing was done in love because like firing. Yeah. Like I said, there, if we see each other around, it'll probably be kind of awkward, but it's okay because I've embraced the lesson. And I said, you know what, this is the wake up call I needed to really improve. Right. It took that's the, you know, I don't, I didn't, I had one point I had to Victor roommate. Right. And it was just kind of like, I wish it didn't come to this. And I know that if I don't do this, you're going to be much worse off. I'm just enabling you at this point. Right. And that's when you realize, Oh, loving thing doesn't mean showing excessive grace to the point where you're just resentful. Like loving is, Hey, you got to cut. This is it. Wow. I I love that. Loving uh, someone isn't showing excessive grace mm-hmm. to the point you are resentful. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do want to mention this, right? Mm-hmm. Part of the reason that we as human beings pursue each other's respect is, is it's something that's vital, yeah. right? I need to believe that you are a capable human being, right? That you're capable of surviving on your own and doing all mm-hmm. the things that you need to do. Yeah. Um, and I've said this to, you know, some family members. And I, when I tell you, I'm, I'm that guy that people hate when it comes to this sort of stuff. <laughs> um, so I have a great deal of respect for you for how you described your uh, firing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you said, you know what? I learned what I needed to learn. Mm-hmm. I went out there and, and you made the situation better. You, you took control of your life and all of those things. Mm-hmm. But then you have the other side of that, right? Like, mm-hmm. You could have looked at it as an unpleasant experience and then, you know, yes, you've grown from it, but now you treat it like it never happens, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And your business would lose out and your career would lose out. And mm-hmm. even the people that you are now relating to, because you can tell that story, because mm-hmm. how many of the people that you, uh, that have come to you mm-hmm. have probably had a firing and they go, you know what, you told this story about this experience and that really connected with me, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um so I want to mention that to all the listeners, if you want to make sure that you maintain people's respect, whenever you are going through something like that, whether it's a firing, an eviction, uh, you, you are breaking up with someone, mm-hmm. owning it down the line mm-hmm. is how you maintain the respect of others. Good. I, I, so I, I, do, I did want to call that out. 
you know, one leader to another and say, Thank you. I can respect you as a leader because <laughs> one thing that people have to understand, leaders don't just focus on what's good, right? And they don't just try to teach you based off of the, the great things. Mm-hmm. They teach you based off of their failures as well. And that that's definitely something that you're doing. And hats off to you for that, man. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It took a while. Believe me, I didn't want to admit and you're, it's tempting because I mean, I've, I've, I've heard that from, you know, Texas fired, like when tech we fired and as soon as, you know, she left and another tech checked up on her, Hey, are you okay? She's like, Oh yeah, I was going to quit that job anyway. It's like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> then why didn't kind you? Of, yeah. So yeah, you seem kind of surprised when I fired you. So, you know, how much was this really? Cause yeah, sour grapes playing the sour grapes card can feel good. And, you know, is this really the most helpful thing? Cause I would love for her to, you know, actually come back around and say, okay, you know what? Let me, let me look at why I got fired. You know what? Maybe there's something there that I just didn't want to admit about myself, but you know what? Maybe I need to change it. But you know, if she's just like, no failure, I don't fail. Like I just need to, you know, move on and sweep this under the rug. I'm sure, man, you know, I, I, your choice. <laughs> right. Like, I'm not going to stop you. I just also don't want to be around you. What else? Exactly. You under the rug, right? <laughs> like, Tell me about it. Like, and, and that's something that people don't understand. They think that they're mm-hmm. doing it. Oh, well, I'm going to do this because it makes me feel better. And mm-hmm. there, wickedness and evil is a real mm-hmm. slippery slope. And that's why mm-hmm. I like that you brought up those three kinds of people, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not that evil people are evil. Mm-hmm. Evil people are traumatized people trying yeah. to avoid more pain, sure. right? Yeah. And for that matter, so are foolish people, but... Mm-hmm. The, the people that you want to be around are people who are honest about the things that they've been through. Good. They're honest about the experiences that they've had. And they're mm-hmm. honest about the lessons that they've learned from that. Mm-hmm. that and essentially, that's what we call maturity. And that's what's needed for leadership. Mm-hmm. So, man, that amazing conversation we're having. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say has been your greatest challenge in converting mm-hmm. over from the pharmaceutical industry to being a leadership and development coach uh primarily um and along with that what has been your greatest delight yeah yeah great questions um i think yeah just setting things in motion was probably the hardest thing and so i'll i'll explain basically you know when i taught these leadership workshops and then i took on a manager position you know, that I was so happy that I was like, okay, I can't stay safe. I can't stay scared. Cause I did have a good work situation in Austin, but I knew I wanted to come back to Houston and I, I knew I needed to take on this leadership challenge. And when that company had their funding pulled shortly around the time I got out of my uh, probationary period, right. The only reason I got an interview next was that I had leadership experience on my resume. And I said, mm-hmm. wow, leadership saved my career. And, well, you know, the smaller jobs in pharmacy that uh, offer a higher quality of life don't last very long. And so I call these jobs icebergs. And that's like, it's nice to have more icebergs to hop to, but if they're going to melt after one or two years, like I'm kind of tired of this. And so when my last job went under about five years ago, I said, you know, I'm tired of chasing scripts from doctors. I'm tired of fighting insurance companies that dictate how much I can make. Uh, But I love teaching these leadership workshops. You know, what if I tried to become a coach and ambition. It took me four years, you know, because I was so still so scared of failing rejection to be like, well, you know, maybe some people will hire me. Right. And this was like a hobby, you know, it was nice. I mean, I got some people were kind enough to pay, but then it took a pandemic for me to say, okay, how much am I really 
gonna how much longer am I really gonna wait in order to get some skin in the game and get this off the ground? And so yeah, I took a pandemic to be like, okay, nope, follow the LLC, get the website up, you know, open the bank account. So my greatest um, achievement, I'd say, in all this was to um, I flipped a, I flipped one of my book discussion events into a paid gig. And so basically what happened was, yeah, I was friends with the executive director of a leadership society in pharmacy. Um, I invited them to one of my book discussions out, you know, just 10 bucks a person, you know, not a lot, not definitely not enough to pay my bills, but just the starting point. And he's like, Hey, you know, I, I really like this. You run this really well. What if, uh, you know, we gave you a small honorarium to host some book discussions for our leadership society. Um, you know, how does 125 an hour sound for like six sessions? And I was just like, wow, you know, that was great. So again, far from the end, but uh, it was a, it was a good sign that people uh, knew what kind of value I was bringing and, uh, you know, trying to explore that a little more. Man, I, I love the fact that you also mentioned that you flipped your book discussions and described mm-hmm. what those were, where you were having meetings about uh, these books mm-hmm. and that turning into a speaking gig, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I think people kind of take it for granted. Like, this is why you might get uh, all of these social media coaches telling you do lives, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. get out there. But that's really all it is. If you have a business and you want customers, you have to be able to describe what you do and who you do it for. Yeah. And if you can't tell people what you do and who you do it for, mm-hmm. you have a pipe dream still. And that's okay. Right. I'm not going to knock anybody with the dream, but yeah, I, I've been there, man. So I, I know when, when you're talking about your dream, mm-hmm. it can be scary to put it out early. Cause it's oh, like, maybe it's like, mm-hmm. I don't need anyone to crush this. This is the thing that's nearest and dearest to my heart. Mm-hmm. And if you tell me that I can't do it, I'm going to be upset. Yeah. Right. If you tell yeah. me that it's not possible, I'm going to be upset. Yeah. Right. But once you've gotten that thing figured out, what you do and who you do it for and you walk up to them and you know the people who you do it for you you know what challenges they're having man you're you're in great shape i'm i'm glad that you figured it out man okay yeah. so now this is usually the point of the podcast where we do something called story for a story all right and as a leader i know you have great st- uh, stories because leaders teach through stories. Absolutely. Right? I don't yeah. know one leader that hasn't told me a story. Good. Right? Um, so I'm going to give you a story from a uh, leader of mine that I uh, took from. But you're going to give me a story and then we'll, we'll switch it off. Story swap. Let's do it. Yes. All right. So you want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, uh, you can go first. That's cool. Okay. So... Uh, this is around 2010, right? Okay. This is brand new Lance Corporal Phillips had mm-hmm. just made his way into Okinawa. And I'm a hard worker, right? Like yeah. if there's anything that people can't say about me, I don't need them to say, oh, this guy's lazy. Yeah. So my lieutenant, I was, they was, had me sitting up in the office mm-hmm. and the lieutenant came to me. He asked me to do something. He was a first lieutenant. Um, he was like the coolest dude ever, right? Like 20 okay. something years old. Um, his last name we could never pr- pronounce. So he yeah. was always like, call me Leo. And this is the Marine Corps. Wow. Right. Yeah. So, so in the Marine Corps, you, he, it's sir. And then when he's not sir, he's like, call me Leo. I'm like, okay, guy. Right? <laughs> okay, <sir. laughs> I'm not going to, 
People aren't going to yeah. overhear me calling you Leo and come yell at me. That's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But he was like yeah. the coolest guy ever. So he asked me to do something mm-hmm. and I came back. And like you said earlier, I had stories, right? Like yeah. I was like, I couldn't get this done because da da da. And he started breaking it down to me. He said, look, right. Mm-hmm. I want you to imagine that you were on a road trip mm-hmm. and you were driving for 10 hours and you finally made it to the hotel. Mm-hmm. And there's this gorgeous woman at the desk, mm-hmm. right? She's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Whatever you think beautiful is, she's that, right? And if you don't think she's are beautiful, it's that too. Whatever okay. you think is beautiful, that's what it is, Yeah. right? And you pay for your room, you get mm-hmm. your key. Mm-hmm. And what's the first thing you're thinking about when you go to slide that key to go in the room? You've been driving for 10 days, mm-hmm. right? You're filthy, yeah. you're sweaty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, man, I need to go lay down. I need yeah. to go shower and go lay down. Mm-hmm. So you walk in the room, you open it up, and there's no fucking mattress. Uh-oh. There's no mattress. Mm-hmm. So you walk back to the desk, and this lady that was just so beautiful mm-hmm. starts, you tell her, hey, I, I went in my room. There wasn't a mattress. And she starts giving you the story. She says, well, you know, the last guest, they threw a wild party. Mm-hmm. And every story she tells Mm-hmm. She loses her beauty. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. She she tells you, oh, well, you know, the last guest and we just didn't have time. And as soon as she says time, you notice this big mold that she has. And it's like it's growing in here. Right. Mm-hmm. He's like, what would you respond to that woman? And when he asked mm-hmm. me that question, I said, I don't care. I, w- I just want my bed. And he's like, yes, that's what I want you to understand. Yeah. I don't fucking care mm-hmm. what you're telling me right now. Mm-hmm. I just want my bed. Yeah. Right. So unless you were going to come back with an alternate plan of how I'm going to get my bed. Right. All of these stories are useless. And at 19 years old, I, I realized what the fucking problem was. I don't need to give excuses. It's either going to get done in the time that I said it was going to get done or it's not done in the time I said it was going to get done. And I'm now giving you a new timeline with the the reasoning or dependencies for why the timeline got extended right so for all my listeners out there extending a timeline is not an excuse like that's what i want right like Mm -hmm. if you're you ever work with me and you can't get it done just tell me the extension Mm -hmm. and what needs to be done to get it done Mm -hmm. right there you go that's it so but that's the story right most of you out there before you go back and tell your boss all the story and your kid couldn't get up this morning, just remember, they just want their fucking bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that's my story. What do you got for me, Jerry? Oh, this could go so many different directions. Cause I mean, I could tell you a moment, not a similar moment where, you know, I, I tried to tell my boss why something didn't work out. Uh, or I could tell you just a sudden death moment that, you know, you had no choice but to like get to the finish line. So as the host, I'll give you, you know, right of first refusal. Do you want a story that parallels what you just shared? Or do you want a crazy sudden death situation that you have no choice but to, you know, cross the finish line? Okay, I'll, I'll negotiate with you, Jerry. Okay. Give me the one that parallels. Okay. And then I'll give you another story for a story. 
Sure. Let's do it. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So yeah, guys, you know, as much as I, I hate to admit this, but this is this is part of my journey, right? This is one of those turning moments where you realize, hey, you know what? Your boss doesn't want excuses. Your boss just wants the job done, right? Right. So <clears throat> when I started one of my jobs, it was like a startup pharmacy. I could, you know, kind of call my own shots. It was my own puppy, right? I could kind of, you know, decorate how I wanted, set my operations procedures how I wanted to. And so there was this peculiar thing when the IT slash VP was giving me all my equipment, he said, oh, hey, this is like your mail printer. Uh, you know, this is uh, what you need to print out, like mailing labels whenever you need to mail out prescriptions. And I'm just like, okay, sure, that, that sounds great. But what I didn't know was that he didn't give me all the equipment that I actually need to set it up properly. And so I'm just like, I don't know why I have like this tiny label printer. Like I can only do like address labels, but I can't do stamps. Like, do I need to replace out the role? Like, this just seems really weird. And so I, you know, I just left it alone because the clinic we were working with had their own mailing service. And so I just said, you know, I can't figure this out. He has not given me any stuff, but we already have a system in place that works. I'm just going to use their system. Right. And, uh, you know, for a while that workaround no problems until the head doctor of that clinic found out that I was not using my own mailing equipment. And of course, told my boss who proceeded to blow up at me and say, you know, why isn't this done? I, I need this done now. And I'm like, you know, Blake didn't give me this. Blake didn't give me that. And then the magic phrase that I said, ambition that finally got my boss to kind of cool off just a little bit was I should have done more to see this through. Mm. Once he heard ownership, he's a Vietnam vet. So there's no sympathy from him. Right. <laughs> and he's like, okay. You know, and I'm like, all right. So like, I need this done as soon as possible. How soon can you do it? I'm just like, look, I need Blake to, like, to send me the correct equipment because he didn't send me that. And I don't have the passwords, which he never gave me. So yeah, let me, I'll reach out to Blake right now and tell him what I need and we'll get this done. And finally, like, believe me, my boss like was like still, you know, not happy with me, but at the very least I understood now, Hey, doesn't matter how unfair the circumstances are. It doesn't matter what kind of setbacks or interruptions you deal with. You are paid to do a job. And so just do the job, right? If the boss calls back and says, Hey, is it done? And you can just tell him yes. And everything's fine. Well, so that's that story. And I love the fact that you said that because that, that was one of the lessons that got hammered into me while I was in the military. They're like, yeah, just own it and do it. Yeah. Like shut the fuck up. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, They'll just tell you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the things that you mentioned that I, I just thought was so interesting, right. We're, we're talking about in jobs, right. Yeah. Yeah. But when you jump and you finally have to do this for your business, mm-hmm. who are you going to give these excuses to? Oh, I know. Are you going to mm-hmm. give the excuses to your landlord? Because mm-hmm. They're going to give you the eviction notice. <laughs> yeah, right. right. You can't give yeah. those excuses to SoCal Edison or Edison. If you're in New York um, or the, the grid down in Houston that just got mm-hmm. snowed in last year, they, oh. they don't care. They're dealing with their own problems. Yeah. They're trying to prep for this year's snowstorm. Oh yeah. Right. So yeah. when you're stepping out and I, I need people to understand this. Yeah. When you're stepping out into your own business, all of those excuses that you got to have as an employee, mm-hmm. they're gone. Yep. Nobody mm-hmm. cares. Like you're not going to go to the bank and tell them the excuses. Mm-hmm. Nobody gives a yeah. shit. Yeah. Right. And I, man, I can't, I can't say that enough. I don't, I don't know how to say nobody gives a shit in a 
impactful enough way to, yeah. to let you know how, because everybody's dealing with their own excuses, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you tell someone, oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't like to join groups. I've just, you know, I've been under peer pressure. Like if you said that to me, I'll be like, okay, I was in a cult. <laughs> what are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's kind of what you got to understand, right? Like it, no one's expecting you to be uber resilient, but there are appropriate times and places to give excuses. And when you're trying to get something done, isn't one of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, do you want pity or do you want a company? Right. Like, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I know I was guilty of so many things, right. Where it's just like, you know, oh, I'm just tired of being single. And you know, why don't more girls say yes? Just like, look, do you want pity? Do you want a girlfriend? Like, you know, <laughs> right. And, and that's what it is. Right. Yeah. And, and once you stop, once you stop pitying yourself, right. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. start realizing that if people have been pitying you, mm-hmm. that yeah. that's different than respect. Yeah. You don't need people to pity you. You need yeah. people to respect you. There you go. Right. The girl yeah. that pities you isn't going to want to be your girlfriend. The girl oh, who likes you wants yeah. to be your girlfriend. Yeah. So right. that's pretty much what it is. Okay. So now we have story for a story version two with, All right. Jerry Fu, let's do it. Yeah. Me right. first or you? All right. Um, you, you start because you already. Okay, it's my turn to start. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So here's here's a fun one. Um, this is this is always a fun one. So at one point, I actually served as a church class director as part of my volunteer efforts. And my second day on the job, right when I'm actually about to go on vacation for a, a trip I had planned prior to taking on this term. I find out that a newer guy in the class is sexually harassing women in the class. And they're like, Jerry, you're director. You got to handle it. And it's like, you didn't give me a manual. <laughs> like I'm about to go on vacation. I, I go, this is what, this is the curveball you're throwing at me. It's just my second day. And uh, so, yeah, we'll call him Nick. So I, you know, I, I get Nick on the phone and I'm like, Hey Nick. So uh, this, something's come up. And I need your help trying to figure this out. And he's like, I tell him and he's like, no, no, no. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what they're talking about. You know, and I'm just sitting there thinking, I can't ignore this. Like, this isn't just a, oh, maybe it was a misunderstanding. Okay, never mind. It's like, no, I, I need to press into this. And so in thinking on my feet, right, I still haven't figured out my framework. I'm just trying to figure out how in the world am I going to get this guy, you know, to get on board with the situation that's, you know, brewing in my head. And so I say, okay, Nick, there's three possibilities. One, you are right and they are wrong, which means it's a mis- some kind of misunderstanding. And, you know, I need you, you know, please go ahead and talk to them about what exactly behavior they found offensive. Just go ahead and apologize. Just don't do it again. Right. Cause if you didn't, if you honestly didn't know you were offending them or being inappropriate, okay, you know, fine. Let's just talk about what needs to stop, why it needs to stop. And we're done. Right. Right. Possibility number two, uh, they are right and you are wrong, which means number one, you're lying to me. And number two, that means you actually are, you know, harassing women in the class. And that means you need to go talk to them, apologize to them and make sure it doesn't happen again. And we're going to be keeping a pretty close eye on you, right? Because like we can't condone that here. Step number three or option number three is they're like both sides insist that they're right, which means now it's their word against yours. And that means I have to ask you to leave because I've known them longer than I've known you. Right. So what do you want, Nick? It's like, oh, it sounds like I need to go talk to them. 
I'm just like, yeah, man, just do it by the end of the week. And, you know, hopefully that'll be the end of it. It wow. ended up being the end of it, but uh, option number two turns out was, was correct. So we never, we never saw him again. And, uh, you know, that was just one of those moments. You're just kind of like, you know, I couldn't make this up if I tried ambition. <laughs> no, I, I love the way that you dealt with that, man. You're, you're giving me leadership tools on how I could be a little bit softer as well. Happy to share. Yeah. I, I, the way I've dealt with males harassing people, I, I just punch them in the mouth. Right. Well, that's probably we weren't at the work, though. We were <laughs> at okay. work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll give you uh, a story and this will be a good one. Right. This is um, yeah, of course. how I ended up in HR my first two weeks out of the military in my new job. Right. So. Here I am. I'm I'm definitely afraid, like I've never worked in corporate. So yeah. when I say I'm definitely afraid, like if anyone knows a. Uh, active veteran, especially Marine Corps veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, we joke about everything. We're extremely yeah. inappropriate. Okay. Nothing is off limits. Yeah. Politics, religion. Mm-hmm. We are like the South Park of people. Nice. Nobody's safe, right? Yeah. So taking that into consideration and how much I just like to curse and express myself, yeah. I am afraid when I go to work. I'm like, yo, mm-hmm. dude, let me not say anything. I'm trying yeah. to do my best behavior. Yeah. Right. And avoid everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we get into the office and it's Mm -hmm. uh, week two or the first week in Mm -hmm. one of the guys at same same job title as me. Mm -hmm. He's uh, my manager says, hey, he's going to be doing a meeting with a couple of the CBUs. Mm -hmm. I want you to go with him and let's run with it from there. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Fair enough. We open it up, mm-hmm. open the meeting, and then yeah. he pops up a slide in the meeting. Mm-hmm. He goes, uh, Akil is going to give, and that's my first name for people who don't know. Don't call me yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, Akil is going to give, uh, present this slide, right? So luckily mm-hmm. I had the years of Toastmasters and nice. you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. So I just presented the slide and that was yeah. that, right? Yeah. Our manager was in the meeting and he, he mentioned, right? He said, hey, uh, in the future, just make sure you guys are touching bases so that we can make sure everything is together, mm-hmm. right? Obviously highlighting the fact that this guy just got here this week mm-hmm. and you're making him present in wow. a meeting with business units, Yeah. right? Yeah. So Friday comes around mm-hmm. and he says, hey, we have a um, meeting coming up mm-hmm. with the business units next week. Mm-hmm. Um, I say, okay. And I turn to him, I say, okay, so when are we going to sit down to go through the slides so we can make sure we're prepared? Mm-hmm. Right? He said, what? I said, when are we going to sit down to go through the slides so we can be prepared? Mm-hmm. He looks at me, he goes, do you want to run this project? Because I've, I've been in networking for over 20 years, I, I said, bro, stop, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, he's like, so do you wanna run? I was like, you know what? Yes, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll run the product. Do you wanna go talk to June now? Can we, can, we can go talk to the guy, right? Mm-hmm. He stomps off, has an attitude. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, whatever. But mm-hmm. everybody was watching and they saw as he was standing over me while I'm sitting on my desk, I didn't stand mm-hmm. up. And so he walked over to me and I said, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Right. 
I thought it was very non-threatening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Apparently, I forgot that I was a huge intimidating black guy. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and now I am sitting in front of HR. Right. Trying my best not to cry because I'm a grown-ass man. Like, why am I here? Yeah, and right. So at the same time, like, this is fucking racist. Oh my <laughs> God. Everything, right? But the yeah. but it's very weird because the guy's Chinese, right? So it's not oh, like man. so eventually everybody just sits me down and like, hey man, don't worry about it. That's yeah. just him. He fell down the stairs like a couple months ago. And oh, then God. He he bl- he went to HR complaining that everyone laughed at him. Oh no. Right. So they were like, yeah. they, they're like, no, don't mind him. You're good. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But I was sitting in that office. I freaked out. I was like, yeah. yo, this is my like first couple of weeks here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. already I'm dealing with bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And yeah. he had them write it up that mm-hmm. he wanted to work from home because he didn't feel safe working with me. Oh no. I was like, what the fuck? Mm-mm. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, so that was my first two weeks at the corporate uh, job. And uh, it was where I just realized, like, hey, you know what? People are human, mm-hmm. right? And there's yeah. going to be these weird little things. Mm-hmm. But so long as you're honest and you're just a real person and you weren't actually being aggressive, you'll be fine, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So when I told them what I did, they was like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Even the HR, the HR lady was mm-hmm. like, she leaned in and she whispered it because she didn't want anybody to know. She was like, he's just like that. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was yeah. like, but that's something you're going to have to worry about. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, not worry about. But what I learned from that experience was. Don't don't hype up the the environment. Don't mm-hmm. don't yeah. feel like you're going to move into these spaces and like they're against you. Yeah. You have no idea who these people are and who they're mm-hmm. going to be. You, you don't know who's going to be for you and who's going to be against you. Mm-hmm. And it's not really about who's for you and who's against you. So long as you're doing what's right, it'll work out in the end. That's what yeah. I learned from that experience. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Cause yeah, it's tough when you have to account for the fact that sometimes like the trip wires, you just step on, you know, in a field and you didn't realize you hit some trip wires and you're just kind of like, geez, man, like I'm just trying to take a step forward and you're just like, oh no. Like that's racist. That's oh, you, know, no, you offended me. You're like, it, it was man. so funny, bro. I was telling my friends it, and you know, mm-hmm. all my friends are military. They were like, "So did you, you and your boys meet him out back afterwards?" <laughs> like, I was like, "Dude, fuck you." <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, you're supposed to beat him with chains and pipes after that." <laughs> <laughs> but all in all, man, that it great experience to laugh at now but i was not i I would literally between me and you and everybody listening i sat (laughs) in my car and cried that day i was like oh my god my career is over and it's only been a week yeah it's tough right like you've you've seen so much right like from your time in active duty and then you come back to these social pressures and you're just like ah (laughs) right i'm like i'm trying to be a good person All right. So last question. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What is one thing that you will leave our audience with that you think will make them a better leader? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I had to pick one thing. Um, let's say 
I don't want this to sound cheesy. I do need it to sound, I, I do want a hook. And so it is kind of memorable, but not to the point where it's just so cliche that it's like, eh, that's just cheese. Um, to be a better leader, one thing I would say is, um, you know, allow people to disagree with you. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you meditated on that one. <laughs> yeah. that, that is a extremely good one, mm -hmm. right? For everybody yeah. listening, go be great. Yeah.